0: Uh, so tonight, getting into tonight. So I've been asked to do part two of this series on the statements that Jesus has made that are, are, that are kind of rather hard to understand. You hear them, you think, huh, that doesn't sound like this loving and, and sacrificial Jesus that, that I know and, and follow. And then there's times when Jesus makes these statements that are, that are really difficult. Um, but what we discover is when, is when we take the lid off the statements that Jesus makes and you remove our like 2023 20, worldview kind of lens and you begin to read it, you know, when you read the Bible and, and explore what Jesus is saying, you actually discover that he's not being extreme or hard to understand. What you, what you discover is that he's actually calling people to a much higher standard of what it means to be Christian. This is what Jesus is doing. So tonight I want to look at a story in Luke 9. Last week, David also spoke from Luke 9. We're going to be looking a little bit further now in the same conversation. And in many ways, this is part two to what David shared last week. So I think this will work out really well. I want to get into it, but first I want to pray. And then we're going to dive into how do we stop making excuses? So why don't you pray with me and then we'll dive in. God, I am so... I'm so excited for this this time tonight to to get to be with friends, to get to look at what you said and, and the calling that you have given us as Christians to live a life that is radically different than the world around us. Lord Jesus, I pray that tonight, Lord, that you would call us to a new standard, a standard that refuses to make excuses. Lord, that we would live and breathe and walk the way that you want us to do. So Jesus, we pray for our time tonight. Help us, Lord, to set aside any distractions, any homeworks, any, anything else in our mind right now. God, just help us to set it aside for the next 20 or so minutes. And, and Lord, I pray that your spirit in this room would speak to us, that you would call us forward, and that you would equip us to live the life that you're asking us to live. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. In Luke 9... Again, at the end of the chapter, Luke 9, 57 through 62, Jesus has three conversations. He has three interactions with three different people. And, and the context and the setup is, is, is kind of the same for each person. Um, Jesus is, is essentially calling them to follow him. However, each of their responses is different and their excuse is different to his invitation. So I want to read this section of scripture to you. And then I'm going to kind of explain these different uh, interactions that Jesus had. So starting in verse 57, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now to another, he said, follow me. each with a different reason and excuse. And at first glance, it seems like Jesus is being a bit harsh with them. But like I said, I want to take a look at these and the excuses behind each of their requests. And I want to give you, uh, what I want to do tonight is I want to give you the excuse briefly. But then what I want to do is I want to give you three ways that we can reorient ourselves to what Jesus is asking of us and his followers. So I'm going to introduce to you what these three uh, interactions were and what their excuses were. But then I'm going to spend the bulk of our time tonight kind of talking about how do we reorient Orient ourselves so let's look at interaction number one the first interaction is misguided expectations this is what we see here is we see a misguided expectation again I want to read that that first interaction with you it says that someone said to him I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head See, the first potential follower, he assumes that Jesus is coming in on the scene as like a super rabbi. He's like a superstar. He's going to get to enjoy the luxuries of the best hotels. He's going to be, uh, you know, good to have the experience, the best foods. He's, He's the one who has been promised to come that's going to overthrow the rule and oppression of the Roman government. This is the expectation that this man has. Essentially, what this guy is saying here is he says, hey, I want to get in in on this movement now. I want to get in on some of this action so that I can have the kickbacks later. And maybe even at some point I'll be so unimportant. This guy had misguided expectations. And the reason we know that is by the way that Jesus responds to him. See, how does Jesus respond to him? He says, look, you have this all wrong. I'm not here to live in luxury. I'm not here to overthrow an oppressive government. He says to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. See, from the response of Jesus, you can tell that this man had different expectations about what following Jesus would mean. See, Jesus did not come to usher us into a life of ease or comfort or popularity. In fact, when you study scripture, scripture never lends itself to ease and comfort and 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 an easier life. That's just not the progression and the direction that scripture takes us. Interaction number two, misplaced priorities. So we first, we had these misguided expectations. The second interaction says really about misplaced priorities. Again, the scriptures say that to another, he said, follow me. So Jesus is calling people to follow him. And this man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Again, this seems harsh. I mean, why would the son of God not want us to bury our own dead to say farewell to our parents? Well, here's what's really going on. Again, if you take the 2023 lens off and you, you see what's really being said here, what's happening is, is this would-be disciple was willing to follow Jesus. I, and I sincerely believe that. But after his father dies. See, the reason is, is he had misplaced priorities. Jesus recognized that this man's desire was to receive his inheritance from his father. When his father passes away, that son would gain the inheritance. That means that he would gain the farm, he would gain the land, he would gain the wealth that his father has earned. And what this man is saying here is actually, I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me me get my backup plan in place. So in case this following you thing gets questionable, I'll have my backup plan. I'll have my wealth to fall back on. I'll have my inheritance. I'll have my home. Because I think what's realized is this man's realizing that Jesus just said to the other guy, hey, I don't have a home. If you follow me, there's no home. So this man says, oh, well, let me get my home first. And then after I have my home, then I'll follow you. See, this man wanted a backup plan in case following Jesus didn't work out. Interaction number three, misunderstood commitments. Misunderstood commitments. See, the scripture says that yet another says, so this whole conversation is happening. And another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, this third man whose request, though on the surface really does appear sincere, he has misunderstandings about what it means to be committed to following Christ. See, Christ must be first. And Christ, I think, sees through this man's empathetic words. I think, I think that's that's what Jesus is doing when he says, you know, this man says to Jesus, "Hey, I will follow you," but, and I think Jesus knows this man's heart, and I think he knows this guy is never going to follow me with me being first in his life. So Jesus simply responds to him, "No one can put his hand to the plow and look back. Is fit for the kingdom of God." See, Jesus doesn't want to be fourth. He doesn't want to be third. He doesn't want to be second. He wants to be first. In fact, when when I asked my wife Amy now to be my wife, uh, when I got proposed, I said, I want to be number two in your life for the rest of our life. And if you're okay with that, then I will accept your yes. But I let her know right up front, you will not be first in my life, and I will not be first in yours. And she agreed to the terms, and now we have four kids. (laughs) And I'll tell you this, guys, I am so grateful that I am not first in my wife's life. Because she has called me numerous times to make Jesus first in my life. And that's only possible because Jesus is first in hers. Uh, So I did good, guys. Hume Lake. (laughs) Hume Lake. So how do we reorient ourselves... So that our expectations, our priorities, our commitments in life are in line with God's. Because isn't that ultimately what we're trying to do as Christians? We're trying to have our expectations and our priorities and our commitments. We want these to be in line with God. So how do we do that? I want to give you three suggestions. But first, the word reorient. It means to, to change the focus of or the direction of. So to reorient is to change the focus of or the direction of. So what we see in these three interactions with Jesus is that, that they each made themselves the subject of their focus instead of Jesus. They were the focus. They were the direction that they were trying to go. And they made their life's directions ultimately, be, ultimately about what they could get out of it instead of what Jesus could get out of theirs. See, their power, their possessions, their popularity, these were the subjects of their worship. Jesus was not. And the thing is, is you don't get off track like just like overnight, right? I think that's fair to say, right? You don't get off track overnight. And I'm 40 now, so like most of you are like, what, 18, 19, maybe 23 or so. I'll tell you this right now. There are so many of my friends in college that are not walking with Jesus today. Not because they didn't love Jesus in college, not because they weren't making disciples in college, not because they weren't going to spring break in college. They just got one degree off in college, and what happens is when you're one degree off and you're here, it's easy to see the way that Jesus is one thinking or Jesus wants you to go. And you're just right next to it. and You're like, it's not that bad. I can just hop right back on and you can go a few steps. And then you kind of see this path and you're like, well, that looks kind of fun. So you just kind of step over and you kind of go down this path for a little while. And you're always just a hop or skip away. Right. But the thing is, is you keep going one degree off year after year after year. And ultimately you end up so deep into the woods that you can't even see the path that you originally started on. Guys, I'm warning you. There are men and women that I know today that do not love God because they got just one degree off in college. So with each of these interactions, I wanna offer you a way that you can reorient yourself to Jesus. And these aren't just like philosophical things that I read in a book. These are actually like what I have had to learn myself. These are the very statements that I have told myself year after year as I have gone you know, across hard things in my life. These are the statements that I have, I have found true and I, and I have tested them. Uh, so you can, you can bank on it. Um, I am walking with Jesus today because I have actually applied what I'm about to tell you. So how do you reorient yourself back to Jesus? Interaction number one, misguided expectations. The way you reorient yourself here is to give God your yes and to let God put it on the map. Give God your yes and let God put it on the map. See, give God your yes. Get, let God put it on the map. Often, I'm willing to give God my yes as long as I get to have some say in where it gets placed. Does anyone else track with me? You're like, God, I will follow you. Can I please, can it please be her? God, I will follow you. Can it it please be that job? God, I'll follow you. Can it please be that paycheck? God, I will follow you, but can, can it please be that award? And you want to have some say on where the yes gets placed on the map of your life. But here's the thing about expectations. God's saying, look, I I have things under control. I am the God who created the universe. I actually hold the entire universe in place. I actually keep it functioning. And I have more knowledge and insight into what is best for your life than you do. See, what giving God your yes is all about is dying to yourself. That's what it means to give God your yes until like God put it on a map is to actually die to yourself. And it sounds strange, I get that. In order to, for one to truly live, one must truly die. That sounds odd. That doesn't sound like a very popular statement to say. But this is really interesting. Is God actually put in place a picture for us of this exact event happening every single day in our life in the natural world. See, the first step in the life of every tree and plant and flower and vegetable, every first step starts with a step not of living, but a step of dying. You see, you have a seed. And in order for a seed to begin to grow, the seed itself actually has to die. The seed itself actually has to completely be drained of all of its resources and die so that the shell can crack open. So that nutrients from the ground and from the earth can then flood into what is now a dead seed, so that life can begin to grow from within. That's actually how every plant happens. And God has literally covered the earth with multitudes of trees, plants, and flowers to remind us every single day that real life begins when we die to ourselves, when we invite God into our life. That's when life begins. Second Corinthians 5.15, it says that he died for all, that those... Live uh, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 31. The Apostle Paul says, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die every day. This is the Apostle Paul, known as probably the, like, the superstar of Christianity other than Jesus. Like most people have heard of Apostle Paul. And here Paul is saying, he's like, look guys, I die every single day. So the question is, what are you dying to? Are you dying to that inner desire to have the final say? Are you willing to die to yourself that Christ can live? Psalms 37:4, one of my life's scriptures says to delight in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desires. And now we always love the back half of that verse, right? He, God will give me my heart's desires. The reality is, is that to, to delight yourself comes first. And that's interesting, that word delight in the, the original language was just Hebrew. It carries the idea that you are moldable that you are shapeable, to be delighted in Christ, to be delighted in God is to, is to actually be shapeable by God, as if someone is molding you, he's shaping you like clay. So the idea of this scripture is to let God shape you, to shape your desires, to shape your heart. And then as God shapes you into what he wants you to be, then he gives you the desires of your heart because you have been shaped and molded to the very things that he desires. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, to seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. That means live the right way. And he will give you everything you need. See, the temptation about expectations is if I don't look out for myself, if I don't try to have some say on where my yes goes on the map, no one else will. And God very clearly says, Seek me above all else. Die to yourself. Live for me. And you will actually find that I have given you absolutely everything that you need. The reality is that you are always giving your yes to someone or to something. The question is who or what you are giving that yes to. You are always giving your yes, moment by moment, every single day, to someone or to something. The question is who or what you're giving that yes to. I want to encourage you guys to give your yes to God and let God put it on the map of your life. Interaction number two, okay? With your misplaced priorities, have no plan B. I have to tell myself over and over in my life, there is no plan B. See, the issue with our second guy is that he wanted to guarantee his inheritance. He wanted to bury his father, thereby sealing his financial future. He wanted to make sure that his plan B was in place in in case plan A began to get questionable or a little rowdy. And it's not that this guy didn't love Jesus. I I really actually and sincerely believe that he did. I think he really had a desire to love Christ and to follow God. see, it's not a question about whether he loved God. It's a question of what he loved more. And this is going to be a question you're going to find yourself every single day. It's not that I don't love Jesus. It's just, what do I love a little bit more than Jesus? And there's nothing wrong with having priorities. Priorities are important. You guys are in college. Grades should be a priority, right? Sleeping, eh. My roommate and I in college actually had a test to see who could do the most one-nighters because that was smart. Our grades reflected such desire. (laughs) He was an engineer. I was a music major. I had a lot less on the line. (laughs) Needless to say, I won. Um, The reality is, look, only God can sustain you. Only God can ever truly meet your needs. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with having priorities. Uh, But the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20, and I love this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. See, it's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. There's no plan B here, guys. It's Christ. Christ is my priority. Christ is first. Everything else falls into place when Christ is consistently first in my life. I want you to notice what Jesus says here about priorities. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, he says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal for wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now, last part there, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. See, the reality is is your priorities determine your treasure. What you prioritize as most important in your life will determine the treasure of your life. And what you treasure determines your desires. You guys see that? Your priorities determine your treasure. And your treasure determines your your desire. It's what you, you seek after. So if you want to desire more Jesus, make Jesus your priority. I wake up every morning right now between 5.15 and 5.30 in the morning. Not because I'm a morning person. I actually think that no one should wake up before the sun does. But I wake up at 5.15 so that I can spend time with Jesus because my children are up at six. And if my children are going to get to experience the blessing of a father who's, who, who has a relationship with Jesus, I need Jesus first because they will test me by six. <laughs> my marriage and my family goes a lot better if I make the priority to spend time with Jesus before they get up, my wife can testify to the fact that they are bad days, and those bad days are often the days that I decide to sleep in. Interaction number three. We're wrapping up here, guys. We're, we're, we're beginning to land a plane. With your misunderstood commitments, no more buts. You guys get that? No more buts. I want to quote a modern voice and advocate toward the more popular and worldly perspective, Sir Mix-a-Lot, says, I like big butts and I cannot lie. (laughs) Well, the truth is, it's not just Sir Mix-a-Lot that likes big butts. The world, the flesh, and the devil do too. And they are going to try and butt into your commitment to Christ. Christ is going to call you to a commitment and then almost immediately you are going to think to yourself, I want to follow Jesus, but I want to follow Jesus, but but first I want to experience this. I want to follow Jesus, but first I need to do this. I want to follow Jesus, but but it's this it seems just too inconvenient I want to follow Jesus, but that seems too hard. I want to follow Jesus, but that's going to cost me more than I want to, to pay. God, I want to follow Jesus, but they're going to laugh at me. I want to follow Jesus, but my professor is going to ridicule me in front of class. I want to follow Jesus, but I don't feel qualified because of my past. Has anyone experienced any of those? I have experienced all of those. I'll be honest with you. Every day that I go to work, I feel like I am not qualified to be a pastor because of the big but that my flesh and the world and the devil throws at me every single day. But this is what Jesus says. In Matthew 16, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake We'll find it. Now, here's where the questions really pick up. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Guys, there is nothing that this world can promise you or deliver on that is more precious than your soul. See, all the big butts that the flesh and the world that the devil throw at you, they have one single goal, and that is to get you to lose your life, to tempt you to believe that you will profit from something temporal and worldly rather than something that is eternal and heavenly. So I want to ask you guys, take a moment, think to yourself, how would you finish this question? And, 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 And be honest with yourself. You don't need to share it, but be honest with yourself. Lord, I want to follow you, but... What's your answer? God, I want to follow you, but Write that down if you need to remember it later. Jesus promises you life if you are willing to deny yourself until you lose your life for his. David shared Luke 9:23 with you last week. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. This is a daily choice that we have to make. The Apostle Paul said it in Acts and then in 2 Timothy. He says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And then at the end of his life, Paul penned, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. I have remained faithful. That's the statement of someone committed to Jesus. I'm about probably halfway done with my life. You are more on the front end of your life. My heart and and, and my desire for us in this room is that every single one of us could say, I have remained faithful to the assignment that God has given me. So in conclusion, we began tonight looking at three interactions with three excuses. We looked at misguided expectations, misplaced priorities, and misunderstood commitments. But what we, where we've ended tonight is these three responses to be able to reorient and redirect our lives back to Jesus, to give God your yes, and to let God put it on the map, to have no plan B and to say no more buts. Jesus is first in my life and everything else is second. Now, how has God spoken to you tonight? Where has he challenged you? Where has he He called you to be more committed to him? And what excuses do you need to start, stop making? What excuses are you making right now that you need to just say no more? I will no longer make that excuse. I'm going to follow Christ, whatever it demands of me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful for this room. I think about the impact that this room is going to have on the the, the future and the generations to come. Lord, I think about the people in this room that are going to get to populate heaven because of their tenacity and then their passion to share Jesus with the people in their lives. Lord, I pray for this room tonight that their lives would be so different, so radically different that the people around them just has to ask them, what is it with you? And when they discovered that it's Jesus, that their lives would be transformed because of the testimony of the lives in this room. Lord, I pray for me included, no more excuses. Lord Jesus, Father, may you be our only expectation. God, may you be our only priority. And may you be our only commitment. Father, with that, Lord, you have permission to guide everything else in our life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.